Hey, folks, I'm Tom. And this is Keith. And uh, you should know that by now if you're listening to this very program. We talk a lot about the Dunlap Champions Club. Often it has to do with football season, but the season is over. It's in the rearview mirror. But very important note here, don't put the Dunlap Champions Club in the rearview mirror. One of Tallahassee's largest event spaces, the Champions Club is quickly becoming the go-to place for charity functions, meetings, and events located on the fourth floor. Champions Club consists of an east area, a west area, or you can buy them featuring floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking Bobby Bowden Field, providing a spectacular view for all of your guests. We've been there. We've done it. It's worth it. Great event space. Uh, if the fourth floor doesn't suit your needs, there's also the sixth floor, whether it's the southeast terrace or the southwest terrace. Regardless of configuration uh, or number of folks, the Dunlap Champions Club, a great uh, event space and can accommodate your needs. For more information, Mr. Jones? Let's see. You should call the FSUChampionsClub.com. Excuse me. FSUChampionsClub.com do you website. Call, do you call the website or do you, you just log into you the You call the number. Oh, what's the number? The number is 644-1830 or, again, online, FSU championsclub.com he's keith i'm tom we're done broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row knowles with tom block and keith jones front row knowles is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith Hello, everybody. Tom and Keith back again. KJ, good to be by your side. How goes it? I'm listening for the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. Because we're... Everybody, the sky's falling. The sky's falling. We lost a recruit to Maryland. That one everybody knew was coming. Well, then why is everybody upset? I don't know. Why is everybody upset? The biggest miss, we talked about this last week, missing a quarterback was significant. Beyond that... Regardless, fill in a name. Just a name of a quarterback. Right, right. I think it was apparent that the uh, Nick Cross wanted to come to FSU. His parents or his dad didn't, and so he's at Maryland. It is what it is. Well, his dad wanted him to go to Penn State, according well, to that's Yeah, course. right, right. That's but here's the thing, Tommy. Didn't want him to come here. Here's a big thing that's different in recruiting now, in my opinion. I was not even going to start with football, Keith. I was going to give basketball its due. We'll but get here there we in are a second. Week after we'll get Sunday. there in a second. We'll right. shut up. 30 years ago, and of course I go back 40 years ago, but maybe even 20 years ago, you signed with a school. Today, you sign with a coach. So Maryland brings Loxley in. He's, he's a national champion from Alabama. It ain't Maryland that's recruiting. It's Coach Loxley that is recruiting. And that's the way kids go now. It's not about the institution. Well, it's about the coach. It's about themselves, as their handlers would tell them. And uh, Yeah, we, we, I really wasn't going to go down the recruiting thing, except to say this as we've digested it. Broad statement, but missing on a quarterback is significant, and they will they will find a way to get another quarterback in. Beyond that, I don't watch enough of the recruits. We talk about it all the time to pay attention to it. You know the whole story if you're listening to this show. Some of them are going to be better than you thought. Some of them won't live up to it. Uh, so I don't want to go down that whole road again. I do think as I've listened to a lot of the conversations, there's an awful lot of hindsight, and that's what sports talk radio is, and really media in general is hindsight Monday morning quarterback. So there's a lot of discussion now about, well, Florida State should have maybe cut, you know, they should have cut bait earlier with some of the higher-end prospects they were recruiting so that they could get the B prospects instead of settling for the C. Well, that's all well. It's easy to say right now. But in September, had they cut bait with the top prospects to go after the lower-tier kids, 
what would we have all said? What in the world are you doing? Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Right. So can't I, win. It's a yeah. It's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking on on that front. Um, all right, let's go to basketball. Yeah, exactly. I'll be there tonight. You will be. As I well. will as well. The Louisville game was a really good game. It was entertaining. Did you watch the Louisville game last night? By the way, I did not. I saw some of the highlights, and obviously, I've heard everybody talking about it. Uh, they were up by twenty three. Uh, and I and I think the one thing that's the takeaway: nobody wants to give Florida State credit for how well they played Duke. You know, the talk this morning was about, you know, how did Louisville show how you can play against Duke and maybe beat them? Well, go look at the Florida State tape. There's how you can play Louisville, you know, uh, uh, Duke. Duke and beat them. Now, I granted, they were without Zion in, in the second half, and I get that. But nobody's given Florida State for any credit for how well they played Duke here in Tallahassee. And I think that's just a shame. And I think that'll get a little better if Florida State continues on this role and continues to do well in the ACC. I tweeted last night and then went to bed that it was a nice night for FSU hoops because LSU beat Kentucky and Louisville was beating Duke. And then, of course, I woke up and Duke had come back. But but it doesn't change the point that if you look at those teams, LSU has gotten really good. It might win the SEC. Purdue has as well. And how about looking back at it, and we were there, and I still haven't figured out how that ball went in that Cabin Gailey shot to beat LSU. From you the and right I corner. That. From the right corner. It looked like a line drive break that was – caroming off the rim from our vantage point i know folks listening if you saw it on tv you might not have the same thought where we were sitting looked like it had no chance but anyway the bigger picture he wins it and leonard says well he's really like our best shooter and we kind of go yeah okay you know and now here we are uh two months later and the discussions about is he going to stay for another year is he going to go pro because his stock is rising here's all the that. other thing about that shot down in orlando i would love for someone with the proper equipment to to look at it but I would submit to you, other than a half-court or greater shot where you had momentum on the ball that might have hit the rim, gone up, and gone in, that ball that Cabin Gailey shot down in Orlando went as high off of the rim on the miss before it came back down without touching anything is, is just about any shot I've ever seen, at least personally. So tonight's game, FSU is favored by 18.5 points over Wake Forest. That's a recipe for disaster. Exactly. Huh? Don't, don't make that bet, folks, because <laughs> it's an ACC game. It just no- doesn't normally work out that way. The Louisville game was really good. I will share this observation. This is not new. And to be fair, we should have uh, we should have somebody from the ticket office on or, or athletics or seminal boosters to discuss this in greater detail. But normally I'm on your side of the court if I'm there as media. When you're sitting courtside, you can look across, and across would be behind the FSU bench in that area, and you can see some empty seats. Last week... Well, a rarity. I happen to be highbrow. I was up in one of the suites. Excuse us. Excuse us. But anyway, it was jarring how many good empty seats there were. And I thought it was just going to be a start of the game thing, but it was uh, in overtime. The same seats. I'm talking rows of seats behind where you are, not immediately behind, but in that section, in line with the court. Well, And 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 what I'm saying, and I don't want to be – social media guy who just tweets out we got to fix this and there's no solution so since i'm not bringing a solution to the table right now that's why i'm suggesting we get somebody on but there has to be a better way to account for those tickets if somebody's not going to sit there and get them redistributed or move the students over or do something to to fill in those seats that gets talked about a lot uh i know cameron and uh, has talked about it on his show you know and with phones and immediate access of information and tickets showing up where you just scan the phone 
Uh, there are things that you can do. Here's the age-old thing you got to remember, though. Those seats are purchased by people who have given big dollars. Oh, I know. I work in this arena. And they want those seats to be there when they're ready to go there. Now, how to get them more motivated to get there or how to get them motivated to release those seats, I think you're looking at an upward battle. Now, in terms of new people or folks that aren't big boosters, and how do you put together a situation where if there's 20 home games, you can buy eight games for $150 and you just have to say 24 hours before the game which game you want to go to. And if there's an open seat, they'll send it to you. It's on your phone and all that. To me, those are two entirely separate discussions, uh, but both of them are very, very important discussions, and I, like you, don't have an answer to either one of them. It's a discussion that everybody is having because the problem exists everywhere. And, yes, it is easy uh, in a vacuum to say, just take away those seats, move the students in because they'll be there. Well, that's all well and good until the students don't show up. Three years from now, if the team's struggling, there's right. no students there. Now you've got these great seats, and you already moved your top – flight donors out of the way so they're not giving as much to so i again i don't have the perfect answer to it i just know when you look at it and that's not even the tv angle what i described correct because behind where you and gene sit you're not seeing that on tv no uh but it was noticeable more noticeable to me than than uh than maybe it typically is i guess i I guess the bottom line short-term answer is if you got those seats use them or give them to somebody because there's some good basketball being played that eyeballs need to be looking at well and that's that's where I'm going with the whole the way we can distribute and, and email tickets nowadays. Um, you know, if you've if you've earned the right, if you've bought the right for those tickets, uh, longtime supporter, we we just got to find a way. Okay, I'm not going, and I want these to go to somebody. So let me email them back and just hand them out to somebody out. Whatever it is, let's get some seat fillers in there. That kind of thing. I, again, I don't I don't have the answer, but the game was a good game, very good game. Uh, didn't think Florida State had any real business winning it except that they did well i I say that from the standpoint of when you looked at the shooting percentages throughout but the defense was tremendous that's what we've seen and it was been reported in the paper if you read the uh, local paper last couple of days man and and fee have both talked about you know they lost those back-to-back games to boston college and pittsburgh and that just kept a and and continues to be a sore uh, sad bad taste in the mouth and, and what they did was what you can't do. You can't let one uh, defeat become two or three, which is what they did after the Duke game. Well, they know not to do that now. And they also know now that every game, if they want to have a chance to win it, their best chance to win it is to begin the first two, three, five minutes playing defense. And even in the Louisville game, first three, five minutes, what they have, four points on the board, but Louisville only had eight or nine. So, you know, they're playing good defense. You can consistently play good defense and let your offense come and go and still win ball games than opposed to playing poor defense and relying on hot shooting because that hot shooting will come and go and you'll lose a few. The other thing that's pretty noticeable, if you look at the game-by-game stats, the first 15 games of the year, FSU was turning the ball over too much. And there was a lot made about this team is careless with the ball, too many turnovers per possession, all that. And what happened, and I thought that it would, I didn't realize that Kofer would play a part in it, but basically Kofer came back, and he's not a ball handler, but just him being one of the guys on the court, he doesn't turn it over a ton. And then the bench got shorter, and so some of the freshmen aren't turning over. But yet eight turnovers against Louisville, and if you look at the last six or eight games, 
They had 21 against Syracuse, but the others are more in the 12 to 14 range. Then you had eight. So they've, they've reduced that, which is significant. And the other thing is that the, the turnovers and then Florida State's corresponding steals, when they were able to take the ball away from opponents, one of the things that I'm finding most interesting is teams are not letting Florida State get into the transition game. They'll put a shot up, and they're dropping three and sometimes four players to keep Florida State from getting that defensive rebound and getting into transition. So the only other way you can get into transition is steals. And Florida State has amped up deflections and getting their hands on the ball. You'll see uh, MJ. You'll see Terrence. Occasionally, you'll even see Kevin Gailey come all the way out to 30, 35 feet on a player and really contest them one-on-one trying to get that ball away from them because that's the easiest way to get into their transition game. Teams don't like Florida State to run, and they're correspondingly uh, setting themselves up the same way. Tonight you have FSU and Wake Forest coming up shortly at 7 o'clock. We will talk more basketball with our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt when he joins us. We'll ask that question that's out there. Is is Fee going to be gone is he gone i got another observation about him when we come back afterwards as well that uh, it was an interesting comment from coach hamilton we'll also i look forward to that we'll also talk a little baseball happy belated birthday to mike martin and the season starts this week happy start of the last four o'clock first pitch friday you got it you got it as we uh we'll also talk uh, some defending national champion softball momentarily he's one of the stars of the team and that'll be coming up when we continue on Front Row Nose. I will share with this with you, though. Uh, if you haven't taken care of your Valentine's shopping, well, you better get on it because the day's tomorrow, and it, it's already 6 p.m., so you're like six hours away. But um, if if the special someone in your life goes for this, congratulations, because uh, he or she truly, well, she is truly a, a special someone. But Madison Social has BLT dip that they will package and put together for you because nothing says Happy Valentine's Day like a little BLT dip for Madison Social. Am I right, Keith? Come back and talk softball on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and Keith with you. Opening day for baseball is this weekend. The defending national champion Florida State softball team has already opened play off to a 5-0 and start. And as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency, I'll remind you the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to one of the stars of the defending champs. Carson Gordon is with us. Carson, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. How, how did, Does that get old hearing defending champs before we introduce you? I mean, that's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. Definitely never gets old. How do you balance, uh, you know, the smile that brings to your face with the realization that, uh, you know, sitting here smiling about being defending champs isn't going to help us win another championship this year? For sure. Yeah, um, I think definitely one of the biggest things is that, you know, we're 2018 national champions and nothing's ever going to be able to take that away. So, but 2019 is a new year, so we kind of have to keep that in the past, but just know it will always be a part of us and attack this new year. 
Carson, a silly question for you. Where, where's your ring? Do you wear it? Do you keep it? Does mom have it? Where, where's your ring? Oh, no, I have it. We have. We actually have two. We have the, the bigger one and one to wear like every day, and I pretty much wear almost every day. But the bigger one you don't wear every day? See, I'd be the exact oh, opposite. No, I, it'll weigh my hand down. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't want to talk too much about last year, but it was so captivating. I think we have to do this a little bit. You're the first baseman for the team and have been for, for several years which yes. means, uh, unless I'm misremembering, you were on the other half of the fantastic play that Jesse Warren made last year. So, uh, Well, Sid was. Sid caught it. Sid Sherrill. Okay, okay. So just, but, but as you're watching that unfold, and I know she's made plays like that you know, over the course of her career and, and, and over the years in general, but at that moment, when that unfolded, what went through your mind? Honestly, my mind was blank, and... We kind of joke about it, me and um, Megan King and Callie Hare. We kind of joke about it all the time, you know, like go back and watch the film just to like try and see our faces because we were all talking about it kind of funny that we were just like, oh, my God, did this just happen? Like kind of like a blank stare that, oh, my God, that just really happened. So honestly, what was going through my mind was just blank. Like, wow, she's an animal. Well, and I think that's what we all thought. I mean, yeah. when I say all, I don't just mean FSU folks. I mean, because you guys truly captivated the country. And I'm, I'm going to go there next, but I'll finish uh, in, in terms of last year's on-field action with this. I know you hit, you know, a big home run in Oklahoma City. You had one against LSU and the Supers. But I had forgotten until I looked back that you had the inside the park walk-off to win the regionals last year. Mm-hmm. Those don't happen every day. So, you know, how many of those are, are, are on your resume? <laughs> and and I'm sure the moment you hit that, when you saw it squirt into right field, you, you were thinking that could end the game. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably my only in-the-park home run. But um, funny story, going back to last year on that, like in that exact moment, I would just I hit it and I just started running and then, um, at this point, T. Will was coaching third, and I was around. I was like going to t- uh, about to touch third, and he's there, like about to tell me to go home, about to tell me to stay. And I see Coach behind him, like jumping up and down, like telling me to go home. So then I'm like, Oh man, I'm going home. So it was just kind of funny that T. Will was coaching, and I saw Coach in the background, like go, go, go. So that's what happened. Well, it was it was a magical year, and here's here's how we'll segue, and and it does relate to last year from this standpoint. I know, uh, you know, softball the way the culture is, the way it's evolved. There's always been chants and cheering and singing and that sort of thing, but I don't recall ever seeing a team have as much fun in any sport as what you guys were having last yeah. year, what we saw in Oklahoma City. But that's part yeah. of your everyday routine. So talk about how just just the atmosphere and i don't know if it just stems from from the complete culture or if it starts with uh with coach alameda but it but it has to be even different or a whole nother level even than what you experienced through all your softball playing days yeah it definitely stems from coach uh, and all that but i think just the attitude here at florida state is you know um softball's fun there's no point in making it like any harder than what it is so just playing to our left and our right and we have like we really um Ignore the family aspect here, so it's really cool to step to step on the field with my seminal sisters and play for the people to my left and my right. And once I'm playing for my people to my left and my right, and that just makes it so much more fun when I do something for them. Talk a little bit about we we just came off of uh, the weekend, and you you play on a field that's named uh, after Joanne Graff. It's right beside a field that's named after Mike Martin. 
which is right beside a field named after Bobby Bowden. Yeah. Do you guys ever talk about the history of this program and, and, you know, think back to when you were being recruited and what that Florida State brand and that name meant to you as to what it means now and how it's changed? We definitely talk about the history, and I think Coach does a great job of, you know, bringing back an alumni, and Coach will have um, uh, Dr. Graff coming and talk to us before practices or before any games. He'll have um, Dr. Jones come in as well. So I think she does a good job of connecting us to where we are now, that we wouldn't be where we are now without the people who paved the way in the beginning. So she does a great job of bringing them back and just letting us know what have, what like went on um, before we got here. Give us a thumbnail sketch of, of this year's team. I mean, Megan King, who was the star in the circle last year, is back. Uh, Sid Sherrill, who was a fantastic freshman, and I think she set the NCAA record for doubles. Mm-hmm. period, not just for a freshman last year. I know she's off to a great start. I mean, uh, just give us a little thumbnail sketch for the casual fan or somebody who doesn't know that much about FSU softball. Um, yeah, I think we definitely have a strong team coming back. Um, we're figuring out ourselves in these first few weekends, and then the rest of the season we should be you know, playing Florida State softball. So I think for someone who doesn't really know anything about softball, um, I couldn't really tell, give you an exact answer, but to come out to the games and come see us compete. Well, and I know uh, you'll have great crowds. You always do great atmosphere. Um, what's a little something about Sid you can share with us? I, I don't want to, you know, put this all on her. You've got terrific career numbers, and there's other veterans on this team as well. Uh, she seems like the next superstar potentially, and, and I know she lines up at second base. So tell us a, a little bit about what we wouldn't know about Sid Cheryl. Yeah, she's definitely the – I love playing with her. She's very funny, very funky. Um, she's like her own person in every aspect. She really understands the game, and playing next to her last year was just an experience in itself, and she's going to be a great player these next few years here. Carson, there's a perception, right, wrong, or different, at least nationally, that you know the best softball is played out west – and, uh, and obviously Florida State faithful would disagree with that. Those that are in the ACC would disagree with that. But talk about the ACC and the competition within it and, and what you guys perceive relative to the national landscape. Mm-hmm. I think for sure that and and back then, you know, the West softball definitely dominated. But I think as time goes on, um, the softball over here is definitely becoming stronger, and especially in the ACC. Every year the ACC is getting better and better. And it's just a matter of time until the ACC breaks through. All right, so here's a question. It, it's just uh, you, me, Keith, just having a casual conversation here. What gets Coach Alameda upset? I mean, is she ever in a bad mood? She's always smiling, happy, appreciating the day, appreciating the moment. Oh, yeah. She definitely can um, – she's very good at keep, keeping a smile on through the ups and the downs, and I think that's what helps – us like the players stay level throughout the game that if she goes crazy about an umpire or, or bad call or you know anything along those lines that we're going to go crazy and then our focus is going to get away from the game so she does a great job of staying level and just making sure we just play our own game you have moving away from fsu you've uh played for the puerto rican national team for several years uh, what's that experience like? Are you are you still involved there? And I, I guess a side note would be we, uh, as we tend to do in society today, we sort of have forgotten that uh, you know Puerto Rico was hit pretty hard fairly recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm still involved with 
Puerto Rico, where um, this summer we have the chance to qualify for the 2020 Olympics. So that'll be at the end of uh, end of August. Um, the experience there has been awesome, playing with players from you know all over the country, with um, a few players from Washington, from Florida, SIU, um, California, anywhere you name it. Um, it's cool to bring in these different cultures from different teams and different, um, even like not uh, countries from Puerto Rico too, um, and just kind of get together to just play for one big country. Carson, update us a little bit on on your background and how you got to Florida State and uh, what are you studying now that you're here in Tallahassee? Um, how I got here, I um, came to a few camps, emailed the coaches, um, came on a visit here, my unofficial visit, and I just fell in love with the campus. And I committed to Florida State um, the second day of my junior year. I'm currently studying management here very cool well we'll we'll wrap you up on this and this has been a, a great conversation with carson gordon from the defending national see i said it again defending national champion so it never gets old though tommy keep never, never gets old, gets old. Yeah, we're, we're gonna keep saying well you earned it see and that's that's one of the things you'll have that for the rest of your life no matter what else plays out you always have that and that's mm-hmm. that's to you and your teammates credit here's what i want to know you guys share the same facility with soccer so do you guys, uh, you know, pull out the national championship trophies together? Do we have trophy time? I mean, is there a little trash talking back and forth, little, uh, you know, low stakes wagering? What, what's that dynamic? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely no trash talking. Um, it was kind of funny that um, when we won, they wanted, like, they already had a national champion. So when we won it last year, and they had a good run. We're like, oh, my God, they're going to win it. We're like, no way. This is so cool. And then it was kind of a joke for a while that, oh, like, what's in the – we call our um, – where we, like, share everything. We call it complex. So we're, everyone's like, what's in the complex water? The plex juice. Like, it was just kind of a funny little atmosphere of what do they have over there? Like, we need it. Like, what is it? What's the secret? So it's kind of funny that when we won it, they won it the same year, too. I, you don't have to comment, but I'll just editorialize. We need to get some of those water lines, you know, right over to the football. Move facility. it over to Campbell. Move, move it over to Campbell. <laughs> move it that direction. Carson, best of luck. I know you guys are down, I guess, in Clearwater or the Bay Area this weekend for a big tournament. Yeah. Uh, have fun there. Enjoy it uh, while while getting another one. We're going to hold you to that because I know you got a good nucleus and uh, you guys got a good shot. You're going to be right in the thick of things when uh, the season winds down again this year. Perfect. Carson Gordon from uh, FSU Softball, thanks so much. Thank you. You want to go over and move some of those water lines, Keith? I'll be happy to lend some <laughs> labor and, and material effort. I'll even grab a few people and bring them with me. There we go. Appreciate Carson uh, joining us. Uh, been a magical run for uh, the softball program and the, continues to be and the soccer. I ran continues into, to be. I ran into Mark Krikorian the other day at lunch. He had his whole staff. This was on campus, and uh, obviously he's done a pretty nice job there too. But uh, now he's got to take a back seat. It's it's softball season's time of the year, and we wish them the best of luck. It's always Tim Linnefeld's time of year, especially around Valentine's. I don't know if he's got any great Valentine's story. Maybe we'll ask him that when our Seminoles.com insider joins us right after this on Front Row Knowles.
Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles pre-Valentine's edition. Anytime we can incorporate soft sell, it's not it's not a bad thing. Although I do want to point out that I've got nothing tainted going on. Happy Valentine's Day. No tainting going Laura. on. Yeah, exactly. As we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, uh, ensuring your future together. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. The floor is yours if you want to send... Is anything tainted about you, Tim? Yeah, you know, if you want to extend Valentine's wishes or anything uh, to take care of what you should have taken care of already, go ahead. Uh, man, I tell you what, I think I'm in pretty good shape, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Oh, oh there's a novice. There's a newbie. There's, <laughs> yeah, a, a, there's an uninitiated. Yeah, there's the first mistake, Tim. Anytime that you assume you're in good shape, guess what? Stop at the store. You need some flowers or something. Oh, fair enough. Fair All enough. right. We got hoops tonight. 18 and a half point favorites. When's the last time that Florida State in a, in a calendar year has been an 18 plus point favorite over a conference opponent? In basketball, and I'm assuming probably an 18-point underdog in football. I don't recall the exact spread. Anyway, point being, heavy favorites tonight. We're not going to stub our toe or anything, are we? I have a hard time seeing it happen. Uh, I mean, obviously it can. I mean, it's, you know, the, as we always say, it's the ACC, so uh, a lot can happen. But uh, if, especially if, you, if you're not coming prepared. But I think, you know, this Florida State team to me looks pretty locked in. And, and, and I think it also says that. Uh, as much about Wake Forest as anything else. I think that's a, that's a program that's uh, in kind of a tough spot right now. And, and, you know, it seems a little in flux to me. They don't, they don't really strike you as a, a team that's going to go on the road and be the top 20 team that's on a five game winning streak. Obviously I've been wrong before, but uh, I would be pretty surprised if that happened. We've been keeping track and you haven't been wrong very frequently. Yeah. It's annoying. Exactly. Very annoying. I mean, I, you stepped it up in rapid fire. We've, we've, uh, we're pulling together a crew to to beef up those questions for this coming year's. Or thinking about fire. going to Lane. Yeah, we could bring Lane back too. That would that would <laughs> even things out. Um, he's, he's never wrong. Let's talk about about fee uh, because uh, Cabin Galley's been the story here in terms of just this growing talk that our days are going to be numbered seeing him uh, in an FSU uniform. Do you buy that? Do you think he's coming back? Do you think his stock is as high as what we're kind of throwing out there right now? Maybe, you know, I, I think it's a little early just in the season still. I mean, I think a lot has to happen uh, between now and then. I think if, if he just kind of stays where he's at um, in terms of production, which uh, you know is, is really, really good. I mean, he's had a fantastic month, month and a half or so. Um, then I think it's kind of a 50-50 situation uh, where he could or he couldn't. Um, you know, I've also been able to gather that, uh, you know, his parents, uh, to them, it's it's really important to them that uh, that he stays and and gets his education uh, and gets his college degree. So you know maybe that can factor in um, as well. Um, you know, so we'll see. I, I know as as far as his um, his his next level potential. I mean, I you know I absolutely think that it's there. I think whether it's this year or next year, um, you know, I think that guy has, has the, certainly the potential to be a future NBA guy. And you know what, I uh, one of our my uh, my colleagues, Bob Thomas, came actually in here the other day, and we were sort of just talking about fee and um and i was having a hard time thinking of a um uh, a, a comparable nba player like who would you compare him to and then bob had a great one he said no he could he could who he could be or the kind of player he could be is uh is al horford uh and if you look at them uh, physically they're uh, almost the exact same build uh, and have kind of a similar game and i think that's actually a uh, a pretty good comparison 
you know, I, I, I don't know Fee well, although I've been around him for two years now. Uh, two things strike me about him. Number one, he really enjoys school. I mean, the the, the, the educational component of what he's doing and, and echoing what Tom is relaying about his parents' comment, I, I think that is very important to him. And secondly, you know, he's been here long enough, Tim, that he's seen Isaac and, and Dwayne and Malik, and he, my understanding is they still talk. And and so he's seen what it's like to, to leave early and listen to what these kids are going through at the next level. And uh, I think that might be a good sounding board for him. I think that might be a reason why he decides to come back for another year and, and, and get it, get that underneath his belt. What are your thoughts? Well, also don't, don't forget, too, uh, when it comes to, um, you know, understanding the professional experience, he's got a pretty, uh, pretty good resource available to him as well uh, in the form of his uncle, uh, Dikembe Mutombo. Uh, you know, you know we, we don't make too, too much of that because he's obviously, um, you know, carved out his own path and is, is succeeding on his own right. There's no doubt about that. But uh, if, you, if you ever needed somebody who can kind of walk you through the process of going from college to the pros and then telling you what life's going to be like, um, I mean, that's a pretty good resource, right? And, and I do think that can factor in because, you know, I think that, you're talking about a player and a family who have a, a much uh, greater depth of knowledge and experience of, of that process than maybe your average college basketball player does. And I think that's probably pretty valuable for him. Do we know how close he is with Dikembe? I don't know exactly, but I mean, I, I do believe, you know, I mean, they, they have a relationship. Like, they know each other. You know, it's not just, um, you know, a, a nominal uncle or whatever, you know, long lost. You know what have you? I do think you know they they do have a relationship with each other. He was uh, he's come to some games before. Um, I think he's in Atlanta when uh, when Florida State played um, at Georgia Tech um, a couple of years ago. He was there, and I, and I suspect he'll probably be there um, as well uh, this weekend. Would be my guess. Yeah, I was going to say we'll see him this Saturday. So it's not just a, f- a a bullet in the media guy that announcers like to bring out, uh, like Nick O'Leary's grandfather and that sort of thing. No, and that's not my understanding. Is that it's not the case, correct? <laughs> um. Outside of how Fee has been playing, a five-game winning streak, what are you most impressed with that you're seeing from this Florida State basketball team, Tim? I really like how resilient they are. I mean, you, you saw it um, against Louisville coming back from, from all of those deficits, a nine-point deficit in the first half, a ten-point deficit in the second half. I think it's, you know, it can be pretty hard to, um, to, to do that, to try to do that once in, this, in, in a game, much less twice, and then to come back and win it. But then, man, you also saw it uh, against Syracuse. I think we talked about it a little bit last week. I mean, to to get up that big and then struggle down the stretch and almost blow that lead. Syracuse took a 22-point lead and got it within one. Uh, on the road, the place is going nuts, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, a less resilient team or a less experienced team, I think, would probably say, you know, all right, we gave it our best shot, but they're too good and it's a difficult place to play and win games. But they didn't do that. You know, they they could kind of caught their breath, took a timeout, and, and were able to hold on to that win, and ended up winning uh, in emphatic fashion. And, and to me, I think it, it reflects on the, the the leadership of the team, the, the the veteran nature of it, and the fact that they've kind of been in a lot of those types of games. Whether uh, you know there were some earlier this season, but even last year and beyond, um, you know, this is a team that has a lot of experience with coming back from seven, eight, nine, ten point deficits in the second half of games. Uh, so they don't panic when you know they have to absorb another team's run. And this is also a team that we know can shoot the ball on occasion. Now, maybe they're not the most consistently good shooting team, 
But this team can get hot, and they can put up some points in a hurry. And you get into the tournament in the right situation at the right time when those those things come together, they can hang with anybody, you know, 1 through 68, I think. No, I agree completely. And you know what else uh, I'm going to mention this too, is they're really good at winning games, uh, different types of games and different styles and different fashions. They can win games by, by shooting the ball really well. Uh, we've seen that. I think that was a big aspect of the Syracuse game. And then uh, follow up at Louisville or against Louisville, uh, they didn't shoot the ball well at all. So what they do, they revert to, uh, to playing really good, aggressive defense, uh, forcing a lot of turnovers and, and winning games basically by, by getting steals and, and turnovers and getting out in transition and scoring that way and getting to the basket. And even if the, the shots weren't falling, they were, were crashing the glass and getting offensive rebounds. And then you know, two weeks ago, they, they play a kind of a, a, a muddy, mucky game against Georgia Tech that, you know, in a lot of ways, I think kind of reminded you of a game that, that Florida State would have played 10 or 12 years ago where they were the team having to play defense and, and slow it down and, and you know keep the score in the 50s and 60s and try to win that way. Uh, and they were able to win in that style as well. So uh, to me, it's, it's a good sign that they're, that they're a team. If, if, if one way of playing or one style or one you know option, one aspect of their game is not available to them or not working, uh, they have other things that they can fall back on. Tim has a great article on uh, Fiondo Cabangale on Seminoles.com. Check it out if you haven't done so already. And, of course, he'll have uh, the uh, the postgame hoop scoop from tonight's affair against Wake Forest as well. Let's move over to baseball, Tim, because the uh, the beginning of the end, which is uh, – that sounds very morbid when I say it that way, but it starts this week as Mike Martin will begin his last year. What's your uh, – I should have given you advance notice on this. Do you have a favorite Mike Martin story from your time covering him? Oh, gosh. You know um... – a lot. I mean, I I grew up here, you know, um, and so I've been going to games since uh, since I was a little kid. And I don't know that I necessarily have a uh, – you have to give me some time to, to think about that. Yeah, yeah, I should have sent uh, you a text, a heads up on that. But I, uh, but one thing I will say about him is, and I really do always remember this, um, even now as I'm, I'm a little bit older, is um, how he always sort of made time for, for kids at the park. You see it now. You know, I see guys every once in a while, like a, either after a game or – um, you know, to practice, somebody will be out there or something. And, you know, if they're wearing a baseball hat or uniform, he asked them about playing baseball, what position do they play, what do they like about the game, all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's something that, uh, that he never lost, uh, despite, you know, doing it for 40 years. And I thought it was really cool that, you know, he, he, he always loved the idea of, of having, uh, having kids at the ballpark and always, if he had a chance to interact with them, usually did something to try to make them feel pretty special about it. So I thought that was pretty neat. It's a good story. Good story. What do you, what do you like about this year's baseball team? I like the two Drews. I think you have a, a really good pitcher and a, and a really good uh, uh, hitter and, and position player, and so uh, I, I could take you pretty far. Right? I, I thought you discovered JD had two more brothers somewhere. Yeah. I was like, what are we talking about? The two Drews? Who's coming back? The Drew one and Drew nice two. two isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that's a secret. Cats have the bad guys. No, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, ACC Player of the Year honors uh, at their uh, at their respective uh, positions or the Pitcher of the Year and Player of the Year that sort of thing and. Uh, if you have guys who can do that, you know, you, you probably have some uh, probably have some good things to, to at least build off of. Uh, and then they have some, you know, I think some, some pretty exciting freshmen, some exciting newcomers uh, that, uh, you know, watch some of these guys at, uh, at batting practice or, or throughout the you know, preseason. Um, and they look like guys who, you know, can, can hit the ball really, really well, like, like, you know, physically formed. I mean, they look like, you know, not say like major league players, but I mean, they, they look just so much more advanced than, than you know, your typical freshman. Um, and so I think that's pretty cool. And then also, uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see uh, C.J. Van Eyck, um, his development. I thought he showed a lot of promise uh, as a freshman reliever last year. I think the plan this year is to get him involved 
uh, in the weekend rotation, which uh, obviously is an expanded role, but uh, but one that I think if you're certainly if you're a pitcher, one that you, you try to embrace. And, and you know, the idea of seeing him uh, take the next step in his development, I think, is a pretty pretty exciting uh, prospect for them. Tim, uh, I, w- I was going to let you off the hook, but it occurs to me that we haven't asked you a single football question. So I won't ask you about quarterbacks or recruiting. But have you been out there for the chase yet? Has that been open yet? Any any news Not reporters yet. in their offseason? Not yet. Condition? I mean, everything that we've been we've been kind of, you, know, you hear sort of whispers um, is that uh, you know guys are ready to compete. They're getting after it, and, and you know that uh, what you want to have is the, the players taking ownership and the, and the competition coming from from within and, and you know from the players rather than the coaches driving everything. And you know, we're only a few days into it, so it's hard to get a full uh, feel for it just yet. Uh, maybe in a, in a week or so we'll have something a little bit better. But uh, but so far it sounds like they're pretty pleased with the start they've gotten to that. Am, am I the only one that read what I would consider not negative but not good? But this thing only lasts three weeks? Well, I think that's about right. Isn't that kind of a short period of time to be doing some drills? I mean, I remember oh, yeah. in the old days we did mat drills for eight and ten weeks. Well, you know, I mean, that's a it hadn't been eight a, a, lot, of, a lot of things unpacked there. But, uh, but spring camp starts in three weeks. Too, I understand, so. but – I'm just telling you, 10, 12, the chases don't make for a large body of work, that that being from the old-timer. Tim, back in his day when they did mat drills, it was uphill both ways. Just remember <laughs> in that. the snow, right? In the snow, exactly. Hey, uh, from the bottom of my heart, Tim, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, hey, have a great week. I'll, uh, I'll see you at the game tonight, I'm sure. All right, we'll see you. All right, our Seminoles.com. He didn't know what to say to that, which is probably good. Nor would I. Yeah. All right. We'll so come, don't try it. We'll come back and uh, – uh, we'll serenade you with some more front row knolls after this. It was a beautiful day. Sun beat down. I had the radio on. I was driving. Trees went by. Me and Dale were singing. A little runaway. I was flying. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We are back on Front Row Knowles. Basketball game coming up. Uh, Keith Jones teased earlier in the show. You've been on the edge of your seat now for like 35 minutes, folks. Do share whatever this story may be. Well, the, the, the question I get asked all the time is, when is Fiondo Cabangeli going to start? When's Leonard going to name him a starter? And the answer is he's probably not going to for two reasons. Number one, they've gone this far doing it this way, and Leonard is a creature of habit. And, and Fiondo has come off of the bench in every game he's ever played for Florida State. He has not started a single game that I recall. But another reason that Leonard, and he shared this with Gene and I, is the reason he does that is he likes for the game to get started, the first two, three, five minutes of the game to get started, so that Fiondo can sit on the bench and see how the game is being called by the officials. Because one of the problems that Fiondo had had early in his career last year is he was so aggressive in the beginning that he would get into foul trouble. And he ended up with one or two fouls. And, of course, under Leonard, you get two fouls, you're sitting the rest of the first half. So what they found, right, wrong, or indifferent, is by allowing him to sit maybe all the way through that first four-minute media timeout, he can get a feel for how the officials are, are calling the game. 
his jitters and, and, and being anxious at the beginning of the game can wane a little bit because you get into the contest, and he's much more effective coming off of the bench that way than he would be if he started. And so that's why there is a thought process. We'll wait and see. You never know with Leonard. But, but Fiandu may never start a game because that's not his role. That's not how he operates best. I thought that was an interesting comment, interesting insight, whether you agree with it or not, but a way that Coach Ham approaches it. I think it's a leverage play. Fiondo, if you come back next year, I'll let you start. Could be. <laughs> Could be. We'll no, see. I, people get hung up on the starting. He's out there for the key minutes. That's what matters. He, I mean, he, he's there when the minutes We minutes played are, 35, I think, in the overtime win. That's what I mean. And prior if, to that, if, his season high had been like 22 If or the minutes matter, Fee is oh, on yeah, the court. I agree. I agree. So I, I, I wouldn't uh, get hung up on that. I, I would advise you, though, to get hung up on Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff and uh, tell them we said hello. They're at 1110 Stuckey Avenue, also 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. That's Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Should be a win tonight. Maybe, Actually, it may not be easy, but it should be a win. The schedule has lightened, but I'm not going to count chickens before they hatch. It's ACC game, then you go on the road. Georgia Tech gave you fits here. Clemson is playing better now. Uh, but the way you look at it, you get Notre Dame at home in there. NC State is reeling a little bit. Virginia Tech's down a key player. They've been reeling. You got them at home. You know, if you play the on-paper game, the one that concerns you most is at Carolina, and every other one you can make a pretty good case that FSU could win. I'm not suggesting that's going to happen. But uh, it, it is looking uh, better and better. Obviously, you're in a five-game winning streak. I, I've been saying all along, just get the nine and nine. But it is looking more conceivable they can they can do better than that. The biggest key to all that continues to be the health of uh, Terrence and and Trent Forrest, and to a lesser degree, Phil Kofer. Uh, when those nagging injuries that they have are not rearing their ugly head, in other words, when they're able to play with minimal to to lesser amount of discomfort. Uh, because none of their injuries are going to go away quickly. Uh, they're going to be with you probably the rest of the season. Uh, when they're reasonably comfortable and not in pain, uh, they play very well. The team plays very well around them. Um, the, the two things that jump out at me that, that I would like to see uh, change a little bit is we, we continue to see Savoy struggle with his shooting. Uh, he's down around 30% now, 32% from three-point line. He's a guy come tournament time that you like to bring off the bench and feel comfortable he could hit two out of three, two out of four on five or six back-to-back possessions because you're going to need that at some point in time. And and I know that there's some frustration uh, on the on the heels of not being able to play as much for for Devin and 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 and, and for Polite, uh, the two newcomers, the freshman and the redshirt freshman. They're not getting. They're not only they're not getting any minutes. They're not getting any time on the court. And I know that's frustrating for a young player because he wants to be out there contributing, and hopefully that won't won't mar them or keep them from having their great attitude when they do get out there. That's just the nature of getting into the ACC play. Uh, but I really like the way this team continues to work, particularly when they stay focused on the defensive end first and then let everything else fall in after that. So basketball tonight, Wake Forest. Baseball tomorrow night is the leadoff dinner that we've talked about. We'll be there. We'll get the season preview, meet the team. The season starts on Friday. I've been trying to rack my brain for favorite Mike Martin stories, and and really there's too many, and I've, I've shared some on here. I think the first time I ever interviewed Mike Martin, I might have been a 
I might have been a freshman at FSU working at the campus radio station, but I distinctly remember this, and uh, he he really hasn't changed in terms of hands-on involvement. You know, when you make generalizations, there's this uh, – on the Bobby side, Bobby became a figurehead. He delegated his assistance to the coach. Mike Martin is still actively involved and has been ever since I've known him. But this was back like circa 1990. And uh, literally, we did the interview at second base as they were, uh, you know, doing drills. We're standing behind the screen. That he was in the middle of coaching while we were doing the interview. Could not have been nicer. And and uh, this is back in the Brian Gilliland maybe was the shortstop and Rocky Rouse. Something well, you're like pulling that. some names the, yeah, way out of the names, hat. But has always been uh, very kind, very generous, very easy to work with when I was doing the radio games that that Lulu does all of now. Well, we, I was fortunate, we were fortunate uh, to be able to early on do a number of uh, television games with uh, Sunshine Network and Sun Sports. And, and uh, I was commenting to you during the break, uh, you know, the overarching uh, comment there was Coach Martin was so, so happy to have that exposure, to have his club on television, you know, back in the early days, that uh, he would go above and beyond to be accommodating to any questions we had. Uh, the ability to interview him during the game. I know, you know, the big networks do that all the time, but we were able to do that early on, and he was very gracious in that regard. Um, and anything he could do to, to uh, you know, further the program and expose the program and get the program's name and brand out there, he was more than happy to accommodate personally to make that happen. And And I thought that was also very uh, revealing about his love for this university because there are a lot of coaches – that that hate that aspect of it and they shy away from it or or just blatantly won't participate in it but uh, 11 has never been that way when it comes to promoting florida state and, and florida state baseball program hard to believe it's the last go-round but it starts this weekend and it goes quick once you get into it and we wish mike martin and the seminoles uh, the best of luck luck should have been a, a fun year little tip of the cap to the men's golf program i know trey jones spends some uh, quality time with jeff cameron every week on uh, on their show uh, but uh, two tournaments in back a row. To back. That's, that's, back to back. That's not too bad. He's doing big things. Uh, we, we should have him on just in general because the new golf course is coming. And now may not be the best time because he's in the middle of the season. But uh, as we get closer to that opening uh, this fall, that that's going to change the landscape down there. Okay, we we have not talked uh, football since the very beginning. I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't go well, you're back. You're still and annoyed at this. me because I brought it up too early. I didn't follow the script that you handed me. Like I'm some kind of puppet, supposed to do it the way you say do it. It was a blank sheet of paper. I just didn't think that you would take it there first. It's not what we rehearsed in our meeting. Tell your people to call my people. What's a realistic number of quarterbacks that teams are going to have going forward in today's environment? Two on scholarship and two walk-ons. Now, it used to be four, four on scholarship. But in today's environment, you're going to have two on scholarship and two walk-ons, and the walk-ons are there because they want to be. Because you sign two kids back-to-back years, and you end up that next spring with four kids on scholarship, one of them is going to leave if not two of them leaves. And we can get all this debate. I listened to, to Jay Billis uh, on, a, on a conversation this morning about how, you know, coaches are free to go. Why aren't players free to go? Well, there's a reason we have a contract system. There's a reason we have a draft. And there's a reason we have some, some restrictions in player movement at the professional level. You need the same at the collegiate level. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. And we've introduced this portal, transfer portal. We've introduced this ability to um, move 
and, and we've opened up that box and, and it's just it just exists and now we're going to have to manage it right wrong or indifferent and um, that that's the answer to the question in my regard two on scholarship two walk-ons and and that's about as good as you can think you can do it doesn't excuse the fact that it it was a miss as we pointed out not getting a freshman quarterback but I do think you know because you play the what if game now so Florida State's looking to land a grad transfer. Well, if you're a grad transfer, the reason you're transferring is you want to go play. So that's a little less appealing to come to Florida State if you think Blackman's going to be the starter. But then when you play it the other way, there's the suggestion that Blackman's going to transfer if a grad transfer comes in. So is that Taggart's fault if that happens? I'm asking this seriously, and I and I don't have any reason to believe that would be the case. Blackman's a good kid. His teammates like him. But at some point, if a, if another guy comes in and you're afraid to compete, so you're going to go take your ball and transfer elsewhere, I have issues with that. There's and, no question. And I'm asking you, is that on the coaching staff? Or uh, is that a societal... That's, that's to, a societal kid thing, in my opinion. And that hasn't happened, and I don't know that it will. I'm just, when we play the what-if game and extrapolate it out... Here's here's where I come from, and you know I come old school, and, and maybe I've not thought this completely through, but... You know, there is baggage associated with five-star recruits, regardless of the position. Oh, here we go again. He hates five-stars, everybody. There's baggage associated with it. They've been told the bulk of their their careers how great they are and that – and they've been the guy, and they probably started as freshmen, certainly as sophomores in high school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you go out and you recruit these five-star and four-star kids, and you bring them to Florida State, and now they have to sit for a year or two. When their handler or anyone else is telling them they ought to be playing. Well, that's what happened to Florida State. That's what Jimbo did. He went out and got, what, three very highly touted quarterbacks? And all three of them had issues and or baggage, okay? Because if you've been told how good you are for four or five years, then when a bad situation comes up off the field, you're not going to conduct yourself in the best way. You're not going to turn around and walk away. You're going to engage or you're going to come back. I don't, I don't disagree and with all the premise. That, all that leads to how do you balance? How do you balance? Should you take a three-star with upward potential or, or go after the five-star? And back to your issue about, well, if you go after three five-stars and you lose all three of them, then you're left with nothing. Do you recruit a second tier? I don't know the answer to well, that. I'm, I'm just saying I'm that's say, the problem. I, I don't disagree with the premise that there's some baggage that goes there. But Florida State went through a dynasty, and they didn't do that on three stars. I mean, a lot of those guys were really highly touted players, yet they had the team we first. Didn't have stars back then. I, what was Charlie Ward coming out of high school? I, I thought you were talking about your day, but I'm talking <laughs> about I'm talking about when you go through and you look at Travis. Mine. I mean, they had the USA Today Defensive and Offensive Player of the Year in the same class, and David Warren and Travis Miner, and guys like Peter Warwick and Randy Moss was here. That's different circuit. There were a lot of highly touted guys. Yes, there was Andre Wadsworth who was a walk on, but if you look back at those recruiting classes, there were some legitimate players too. The bigger question: we can split hairs about what they were ranked and how many five stars. The team was first then. It was more important than the individual, and I don't disagree that that's societal then versus now. But there was a lot of me-me back then, too, and it seemed to be, and I'm not speaking exclusive to FSU, it just seemed to be managed, corralled, coached better somehow. I'm gonna I, dis- I don't know. I'm going to disagree with you, though, on the quarterback position. Maybe not some of the other positions. Well, I mean, they signed Dan but Kender. Could, he was Tebow before Tebow. But go back 25 years and look at the kids that Florida State has signed. Go back 30 years. And whether it's injury or off the field or they didn't perform on the field, 
Florida State does not have a good track record of highly touted quarterbacks coming in and playing. Brad Johnson was not highly touted. Uh, Casey Weldon was not highly touted. Charlie Ward, I'm sorry, was not highly touted. Well, we didn't. Of, yeah, we didn't start this as a quarterback okay. discussion. And but but I'm focusing on the quarterback. You're focusing on the quarterback. Okay, and, I'm focusing on the whole team and, and five stars. Right. No, I'm just saying the quarterback but, I mean, position is so unique and different, particularly over the last ten years. Well, clearly you could you could point a lot, and we got to wrap up on this. You could you could sum all of FSU's issues up to go to having a couple bad years recruiting quarterbacks. Because if you had a Jameis or a guy or an EJ or a guy that's better than what they've had, you're not five and seven, and maybe you're you're not happy that you're at eight wins, but you're not where we are. All right, we're we're out of time. Uh, I didn't realize you were talking specific to quarterbacks. We'll continue this off air. You guys won't get to listen. I know, I know. Happy Valentine's, by the way. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles. Stay, stay,